Big Steve digging up past life memories here. It's not that bad of a song. I've been married longer than that song's been out. I believe it. Not by much. (laughs) A couple years. Only a couple years? Only a couple years. Okay. I I have nothing more to say about it. I guess it's the perfect (laughs) lead into flashing back to a time when the Big 12 had divisions. Yeah. And I don't mean divisions over membership or involving members. Texas, Oklahoma, I'm looking at you. Nebraska. Colorado. Colorado has 21 players in the transfer portal from their football team, by the way. Scholarship players. 21. That's a lot. Why? That's the million-dollar question. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Mizzou. Yeah, anyway. Uh, So, the flashback takes us to the point where we could be looking at the new future in the Big 12 with divisions coming. Oh, by the way, I'm Troy. Dave G's out today, not feeling well. And again, if you're feeling sick, stay away. Yes. Just pointing that all of you. <laughs> stay away. Stay out of your offices. Try stay home. Do what you can. Don't spread germs. Um, Mitch is headed over to Topeka High. Manhattan High Girls Topeka High coming up top of next hour online at newsradiokman.com. Of course, K-State basketball tonight on the radio. Dennis Dodd with CBS Sports with the headline today, Big 12 engaged in plans to split into two seven-team divisions beginning in 2023 amid realignment. League sources telling Dennis and CBS Sports that athletic directors, including those from the new coming schools, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF, met last month in Las Vegas to begin deciding how the league will look for the three seasons that Texas and Oklahoma remain in, and the four new members are involved. Fourteen teams over a three-season stretch, 2023, 2024, 2025. Primarily because the feeling is that Oklahoma and Texas, while they're wanting to leave for the SEC, don't want to have to foot the nine-figure early exit fees. So they're just going to run the rest of the way out. That's also when the new SEC contract with ESPN takes hold. Oh. Hmm. And see, if they would make that move right now, then that would diminish the amount of money that would be coming in to their coffers. Right. Because they wouldn't have the Big 12 money that is part of their agreement and will have had to dole out a nine-figure exit fee. So, yeah, I guess on paper it makes more sense just to wait it out, huh? That would be the gist of it. and okay. Which leaves the conference with 14 teams. For the actually two seasons, 2023 and 2024 football seasons. Beginning in 2025, 16 divisions. So back to original formulation, if you will, in terms of having divisions. 16 divisions is what was in place at the 
invention, the establishment of the Big 12 Conference. Anybody remember North and South and the fit that was thrown because Nebraska and Oklahoma weren't going to be a yearly matchup? But by God, they had to have their yearly, Oklahoma had to have their yearly matchup with Texas. That was more important. Yeah. And you wonder why Nebraska kind of saw the writing on the wall and decided to bolt at a point. Texas. I mean, can you really blame God. Can you blame Nebraska? Yes. But the power struggle was real, and I yeah. get it. And I disliked the fact that conference offices wound up in Dallas. I disliked the fact that uh, that it became uh, termed as a merger okay. of the Big Eight and the Southwest Conference. I hated the fact that they attempted to rotate the basketball tournament between Kansas City and Dallas. Conference office moved to Dallas. Your power structure moved to Dallas. What's wrong with this picture? A lot. The majority of the schools were still in the old Big 8 footprint. Yeah. And we bailed out four schools that were going to be left without a conference. Save for Texas, you can argue that they were going to wind up in Pac-12 or something. Who knows how those things would have fallen out. Right. But the point is, is that they held an overwhelming, oversized power influence over it all. And did that, by the way, with the former K-Stater at the helm of their athletic department in DeLos Dodds. Also rankles me a bit. I can tell. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so the, the plan would be, again, that it would be back to six teams beginning in 2025. In football, you are mandated uh, at the FBS level, you are mandated that if you have 14 teams, you have to split into two divisions. The conference at 12, after Texas and Oklahoma move on, the conference at 12 could if they wanted to, not split into divisions. But do you go ahead and make that move of having two divisions for the two seasons and then go back to no division when you're back to 12? You're not going to be able to do the round robin the way that you have. Otherwise, you eat up the complete schedule with no non-conference games. It would strictly be along the lines of, say, a Division II season where it's just conference games. At this point, you're looking at leagues with less than 12 teams operating in divisions a little bit. More importantly, able to conduct championship games. But with 12 teams, six team divisions essentially... It would be very interesting to see how this breaks down. The one setup that Dennis Dodd included with the story today on CBSSports.com was a North that includes Cincinnati, BYU, Iowa State, Kansas, K-State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. 
So you pull Oklahoma out of that, and you still are traditional for Big 8 teams in Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State, plus you've added Cincinnati and BYU. The South would be Baylor, Houston, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, UCF, and West Virginia. You knock Texas out of that, and you are still one, two, three, four of the traditional Southwest Conference teams. Bringing those rivalries back, if you will, in Baylor, Houston, TCU, and Texas Tech. UCF and West Virginia, of course, are the two wild cards. The mileage for the South would be awfully frustrating. But at this point, how do you balance divisions when you've got UCF sitting like a wart down there on on Florida? It's definitely going to be a, a, a fun balancing act to watch. West Virginia sitting there on the eastern side of things. You know, it, West Virginia and Cincinnati, you almost feel, should be in the same division right? for closeness reasons. But then you got to figure for UCF. BYU skews it to the west. You could almost see Texas Tech and BYU being in the same division because they will be much closer in terms of mileage than what Texas Tech will be to UCF or to Cincinnati even. This is where things are going to get very hairy coming up. How exactly do you formulate this out? And then the real question becomes, Do you do the same with basketball and every other sport? And what does the travel breakdown become then? One of the interesting things that I like about the current structure of the Big 12 is that you usually have no more than two road games back-to-back. But you are also separated out with those games so that you are not, for the most part, unless you wind up with a Saturday-Monday where you're on the road, but for the most part, you're able to go home after your games. For example, K-State will host KU on Saturday. They play tonight at Texas. They will fly after the game. The charter gets them back here into Manhattan, The idea being that guys can go to school then tomorrow. They'll be back in practice tomorrow. They'll be back. That's how it operates in the Big 12 at this point, with everybody being able to charter, everybody being able to maneuver accordingly. You get below the power five and you can forget about the charters. I'm just, unless you're Wichita State where you've got some extra dollars allowing for it. But for the most part, you start getting into the mid-majors and you can forget about that. But that's also why their structure is different. Pac-12 is different. They go ahead and keep you on the road for a weekend where you will play at Cal and at Stanford. Now, in the days of COVID, that's an even bigger challenge. But instead, but you know, you know that you're out for the weekend is essentially it. This is what we went through in the big sky. You knew you were out for the weekend. 
turned into five-day trips. Leave Wednesday, play Thursday night. Friday was your travel day. Saturday night for a game usually. Sunday was your day back home. Flying commercial. Thank God for Denver International Airport, in my case. Again, this gets into what I enjoy about how the Big 12 is structured. It's one-offs. It's not lengthy trips in terms of multiple days on the road. Right. You pretty much play your game, then go home and rest. Go home and rest. Go home, get back to class. Go home. Get back to practice. Take care of business, essentially. Because I feel like in that situation, you know, where you're just constantly playing and playing and playing, if you have like a bad stretch, like it's just going to get worse throughout that entire time frame because you don't have those extra days to stop, wind down, and get it right in practice to get back out there to go do it right. So then you start to look at how this conference will be structured for those two seasons. 14 teams, okay, double round robin, that would make 28 games. So you're going to want to go division, divisional. You will not play everybody twice, unlike it's currently structured now. And even if you go when you go to 12, if you go divisions at that point and keep it at six and six, that at least allows you to have your conference games at 18. You play teams in the other division just once. You play your divisional teams twice. So that keeps KUK State twice, K State Iowa State twice, K State Oklahoma State twice. You know, about the only thing that really you look at and, and you even look at the at how that would structure out there's not a lot there that if you're a fan of the basketball side of things there's not a lot there that you would really lose in that structure at least as I look at it from being a north division team because the longtime rivalries are still intact for the most part the Big Eight rivalries are still intact for the most part on the North. And on the South, the old Southwest Conference rivalries are still intact with Baylor, Houston, TCU, and Texas Tech. So that at least is, is one of the initial ideas that has been thrown out. It will be strange to see it develop this way. I don't know. Off the top of my head, I don't believe that there has been a situation where two lame duck programs have stuck around in a conference for up to two seasons before maneuvering into another one, other than when the discussions were about the Southwest Conference shutting down and it becoming the Big 12 at the time that that took place. Now, the most overwhelming was the whack when they went to 16 That's how you wound up at the Mountain West Conference. Teams did not like the 16 teams, and so they started slicing. You wound up at the Mountain West Conference, which again has been sliced itself. And oh, by the way, hey, whack teams, come on over and join us again. Everything old is new again, isn't it? I mean, that's where we're headed in terms of the discussion on what we're doing with the Big 12 and divisions, possibly re-upping again starting in 2023. Coming back, K-State hits the transfer portal once again for another recruit, one that started in the Big 12, made his way to the SEC, comes back to the Big 12. We'll tell you about that coming up. 
The game continues on News Radio KMAN. Troy Coverdale with you. Mitch Fortner coming up top of the hour online with the call of Manhattan High Topeka High girls basketball this evening. K State at Texas. Men's hoops tonight coming up 6 30 for the coverage with Wyatt and Stan in Austin. 7 30 for the tip off tonight. Already underway in the Big 12, 11 and a half to play in Morgantown. Baylor leading West Virginia by two, 50 to 48. Part of a full slate, save for one game that will take place tomorrow night on the conference schedule. Don't forget basketball, the uh, Sunflower Showdown tomorrow night. K State KU women taking place at Bramlage Coliseum tomorrow evening, 6 30. The tip off, we of course have it right here on News Radio KMAN for you tomorrow night, but it would be a great night to get out and watch some college basketball tomorrow night of the women's variety as both K-State and KU are receiving votes in the top 25 this week. The Wildcats looking to put the end to a quick two-game slide after their loss at Texas Tech on Saturday. K-State with some news today out of the transfer portal. Graduate transfer defensive back Sean Robinson from Missouri is the latest to come into the Wildcat fold. By the way, I saw that uh, Taylor Bratt was out uh, doing some recruiting today. A number of schools noting that on social media. Robinson's a former four-star recruit at quarterback, started his career at TCU, transferred to Missouri, barely saw the field as a quarterback, shifted to defensive back, and this season in seven games, 31 tackles, three and a half for loss, and one interception. He had a 308-yard passing effort and a loss to Ohio State in 2018 at TCU, but it was part of a year that he threw nine touchdowns and eight interceptions. Turnovers were the problem, thus he was shifted to the defensive side of the ball. That is the fourth FBS transfer that is coming into the K-State program. And he's already on campus, began classes today, so he'll be here for spring ball. Junior college safety Kobe Savage, Adrian Martinez, Brandon Jennings, Josh Hayes, all having already come through the transfer portal as well. This as K-State tries to replenish the defensive backfield a little bit as Justin Gardner, Ross Elder are expected to move on. T. Denson transferred to Purdue. Jerron McPherson and Russ Yeast are out of eligibility. Of course, Yeast came in, played the one season with the Wildcats this year. Robinson looking to go the same route and will be eyeballed as a safety for K-State, but an extremely athletic guy and uh, was a a, a dual-threat quarterback coming out of high school. That's why TCU was involved with him so much at that point uh, and was a four-star recruit at the time. Another nice addition for the uh, Cats to to come out of the transfer portal. Continue to be amazed at how the transfer portal, though, changes the look of things as we – joked a little bit about 21 transfers from Colorado, or at least 21 that are in the transfer portal. It may not wind up being all 21 leave, but when you've got a kid that is going from Colorado, one of your top line wide receivers, leaves and winds up at USC, 
divisional rival, no less, in the Pac-12, you've got to be trying to figure out what's going on. And Colorado right now, that, that, that's, a, that's a program that continues to stumble. And Mel Tucker at Michigan State, one year at Colorado, when Mark D'Antonio had his issues force him into retirement, Tucker was then who was hired to replace him, and it was a very quick turn of events. And Colorado fans are still exceptionally bitter. But here you are two years into Tucker being at Michigan State. He winds up signing a long-term contract there. And it makes you wonder just what Colorado would have had had he been able to stick around longer, or had stuck around longer. But beyond that, they, they hired Carl Durrell, a guy who hadn't been a head coach for five years and had been you know, less than mediocre at UCLA. So folks aren't real positive right now about where the direction is of that Colorado program. Of course, they continue to be in one of the worst situations as it pertains to uh, fan base and interest in programs on the college level whatsoever. Colorado State's that same way. It's it's one of the reasons that when Big 12 expansion was being discussed already last summer with the move of Oklahoma and Texas looming, this is an argument that I've gotten into with a lot of people. Colorado State, I love Fort Collins. I think exceptionally highly of Fort Collins. At one point, I was amidst a number of people who could have been the voice of. And let's be perfectly honest, Wyatt Thompson, before he came to K-State, was Colorado State's voice, play-by-play guy. It's a wonderful place. They've got a new stadium on campus. But the fact remains is that the front range, and, and I learned this the hard way, and it just... For 20 years, it confounded me. Everything along the front range is so geared to Denver professional sports. You have no Fort Collins TV stations. Denver TV. Colorado Springs has TV stations, so there's a little bit of a, of a difference there. But, you know, Air Force has its own fan base because of what it is. Colorado and Colorado State find themselves fighting a losing battle. The more that they are mediocre or worse in their sports, the less interesting they are to fans along the front range. And it stinks. And I say that as someone who grew up here in Northeast Kansas as a fan of college athletics. I mean, and, and people questioned me all the time out there, why are you not into, into the Nuggets? Why do you not get into the NBA? Kansas City Kings moved in 1984. There was no loyalty to an NBA franchise that you rarely saw on TV before then when you had K-State basketball, KU basketball, Washburn turning up on TV occasionally even, on a regular basis. You know, the old Big 12 network and their midweek games over the air television-wise, those were the games we were watching. 
Those were the games we were listening to on radio. Not the NBA. And college football, well, you know, at the time that KU and K-State were both bad, so were the Chiefs. So you really just shift all your attention to college basketball at that point? Yeah, pretty much. And I tend to like the college football game more than I do uh, the, the NFL in some things. Timing rules could use some work, but that's a discussion for another time. The front range of Colorado is completely 180 the opposite of that. Completely 180 the opposite of that. And I never adjusted to that. It would be, but it's the reason why, uh, you know, when Colorado left the Big 12, oh, we lost the Denver media market. You lost a media market that doesn't really show in your ratings. Yeah. It, it kind of felt like they didn't really care about it, you know, if that makes sense. They, you know, when it was over the air, one of the stations out there did televise CU football on a regular basis. Okay. But that was also at their peak in the early 90s. Right. That they were covering the buffs that way. Beyond that, that interest has severely waned, and everything is so Broncos geared, it's unreal. Everything is so Nuggets geared. The, the, the media there, and I saw this with how Nebraska is in Lincoln, too. The media there cover the sports teams, and in the case of Denver, the pro sports teams, from a cheering standpoint, almost. There's some investigative reporting that will take place when necessary, but for the most part, and we see it in Kansas City with the anchors on TV as well nowadays, that, you know, it's all the Chiefs gear all the time on Monday morning and on Friday morning. Right. Um, but it is highly cheerleaderish. And that's for the pro teams. The college teams don't get nearly the coverage. You know, tip of the cap to... Those in Topeka that continue to cover K-State, KU, Washburn, they do the work on top of covering the, the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They do a good job at it in that you see them in person at, at events. You see them in person at the press conferences. They're not just shoveling it off onto some smaller market to do the work for them and then just rip later. They're, they're actually putting it in. The predominance of highlights for CU, Colorado State, Northern Colorado, Air Force, even DU, just come from what was on TV or streaming when they put together their highlights for the night, and it's an afterthought. Based more on what did the Broncos, what did the Nuggets do today, the Avalanche do today. Total shift in... Or, I mean, I guess totally different perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, there are select pockets of those who will get into the arguments over whether Colorado State should be in the Big 12. Right. There are some people that are highly committed to the university. Right. In that aspect. God love them. God love them. They're great people. I, I, you know, I know many of them. But... 
They're kind of few and far between. There you go. And, and that's problematic. And that would be why my argument is that they're not a good candidate for the Big 12. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. That new stadium is a gem. Oh, my goodness. I bet it'd be so much fun to play in. Oh. Just to call games in, even. Oh, listen, their old stadium was not a bad spot to call a game in. The thing was, is that the press box was up against the backside of the foothills rather than looking at the mountains. You want to know a great place to call a game from? Utah. Salt Lake City, you've got a view, though, of the mountains, the Wasatch Mountains. Weber State is a great setting because you have the view of the mountains. Missoula is a great setting because you have a view of a valley just beyond the stadium and the mountains, the foothills on the side, and you can watch what the weather does. That sounds like that'd be pretty neat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw some great facilities and great, you know, just just great setups right? in terms of those. But, you know, it, and then you get someplace like Texas where they just build the thing and Call it a day. And and you kind of look at it and you go, wait a minute, is that a Longhorn or is that something unspeakable in that end zone? That said, number one song coming back as we continue on the game. Delta Dawn, what's that flower you have on? Could it be a faded rose from days gone by? And did I hear you say he was a meeting you here today? To take you to his mansion in the sky. She's 41 and Helen Reddy's version of Delta Dawn. The Australian American singer, songwriter, author, actress, and activist, hailed originally from Melbourne, Australia. She passed away in 2020, September. 29th of that year at the age of 78, but had been dubbed the Queen of 70s Pop by the Chicago Tribune back in 2013. Billboard named her two years prior to that the 28th top adult contemporary artist of all time, number nine at women. I still need to see the the movie I Am Woman, the biographical pick of her from 2019 she's better known for I Am Woman right as a song title this was the second of three number ones that she had part of 18 studio albums 15 top 40 hits this was on her fourth studio album Long Hard Climb now I know someone out there is already going She didn't do the original. No, you're right. She didn't. This is a cover. I've always been creeped out by the original. As much as I love Tanya Tucker's voice, she was 13 when she recorded this song. The original in 1972. Just a tad tad creepy when you hear the history here. Um, Waylon Jennings, Bette Midler, Loretta Lynn also had their own versions The song is about a faded southern belle whose reputation was tarnished 
when she hooked up with a man of ill repute. Now in her 40s, she wanders the streets of Brownsville, Tennessee in search of her lost lover. That's the gist of it. Now you understand my... It gets a little... A little my revulsion to Tanya you Tucker. You start to be yeah. like, ugh. Yeah. And I love Tanya Tucker's voice. Just, yeah. Uh, the inspiration is actually a little darker. Songwriter Alex Harvey says the song is really about his mother, a heavy drinker who died in an apparent suicide by crashing into a tree when the songwriter was a teen. The guilt over his mother's death stuck with him for years. Reddy recorded that uh, back in the 70s. And again, that was the second of her three number ones. And even had a takeoff of it from Stone Cold Steve Austin. Delta Dawn, what's that flower you have on? Could it be a faded rose from days gone by? Oh, no. <laughs> and did I hear you say he was meeting you here today? Take you to his mansion in the sky. Like, he was okay at first, it and was, then just it went downhill yeah, quickly after that. That, that was on uh, an episode of Raw is War. I'm not sure how much of uh, his own uh, beverage that Stone Cold was drinking uh, prior to singing that. It's quite a possibility. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I guess that could wipe out the revulsion I have to the Tanya Tucker version of it. Maybe. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, okay. There's, there, your, there's uh, a new thing to cringe about. Yeah, song for the day. Coming back, ask us anything as we get you ready for basketball tonight here on News Radio KMAN. Closing out the afternoon's worth of the game. Troy Coverdell back with you. Mitchell will be on here in just a few minutes with Manhattan High Girls Basketball online. Because on air we've got K-State. About a 30-minute window where we'll be with ESPN Radio on the air. Then it's K-State Basketball at 6.30. Tip 7.30 tonight from the drum in Austin. Good riddance to that building after this year. (laughs) They're downgrading to a 10,000-seat place. Really? 16,000 now, 10,000 can be 15,000 for concerts, but 10,000 for basketball. Okay. But uh it'll be a better facility. Yeah. Uh the the Irwin Center shows its age. <laughs> oh my goodness, does it show its age. Uh all right. Time for ask us anything. What you got, Big Steve? All right. What is the longest that you've had to hold out on going to the bathroom during a road trip? <sighs> Mine is 12 hours straight. You literally held out the entire time. Yes. Oof. Put me to shame. <laughs> I, I I think the longest is probably about two and a half hours. Wow. Hmm. So, and I'm pretty good about it, and, and, and especially if I'm driving, like last week, right. where it's the nine-hour trip, we'll take regular stops right. at this point. I mean, I'm 50 for crying out loud. <laughs> So two and a half hours, huh? Is the longest I would say that I've probably had to hold, yes. Okay. Well, then the follow-up, how often do you require one of those bathroom breaks during the trip? Yeah. Now now I see you're getting into, you know, we kind of try to keep it to 90 minutes to two hours. Yeah. Mine personal is four hours, mostly because my, gar- my car's not bad on gas, 
and about a half tank is about four hours worth of driving. And I normally fill back up after half, so... You get older and this will change. I don't doubt that. It also changes a little bit just because, well, I'm not supposed to retain a lot of fluid, if you understand what I'm saying, <laughs> uh, given given the congestive heart failure diagnosis yeah. back in 2014. All yeah. right, well, switching topics, what's the most useless talent that you have? <laughs> most useless talent that I have. Wow. I mean, some would say it's this, but... <laughs> um. At this point in my life, probably what singing voice I have remaining. Okay. Because I don't I don't sing. Mine is I can um, it's actually kind of like a, a double thing, so I can bend my elbows past where they're uh-huh. supposed to go, see? And then I can also take my sh- my right shoulder out of its socket and put it back in. Like oh, that. Yeah. It's a cool party trick, but like it doesn't help me at all in my day-to-day life. It's useless. No, I mean, when I was a kid, my right shoulder would move in the joint like that. So I would raise my hand and everybody would go, ooh, because <laughs> they saw it jump. Ugh. Yeah, so that would probably be back then. Again, getting older changes right. the perspective yeah. on that. High school basketball coming up online momentarily. Manhattan High at Topeka High in girls' action. Cats and Texas on the way. 6.30 for the coverage tonight here on News Radio KMAN. Nud!